the plane has landed at RAF Northolt. To date, this has been pretty much a Scottish affair. The Queen's body, this is the first time it's touched down in England since her death. And what will now happen as this plane comes to a standstill is there'll be a bearer party from the RAF. They will carry the coffin from the aircraft to the waiting state hearse. There'll be a guard of honour performed once again by the Royal Air Force and they'll give a royal salute as the hearse departs. It will then make the 15-mile journey to Buckingham Palace, travelling down the A40. Once in London, it'll go through Eastbourne Terrace, Lancaster Gate, Bayswater Road, before rounding Marble Arch and progressing down Park Lane. Uh, it'll then go round Hyde Park Corner, down Constitution Hill, and will arrive at Buckingham Palace. Uh, we expect the hearse to arrive at Buckingham Palace just before 8 o'clock. Depends a bit how quickly they travel. Uh, it is raining in London, but there are still crowds out there lining the route. Uh, and I think this moment of the Queen's body coming back to Buckingham Palace is, it's going to be, down at the Palace, I think, a very, very sombre moment indeed. Let's cross to Buckingham Palace now and join GB News's Royal Reporter Cameron Walker and our Home Affairs Editor Mark White. Cameron. Well Nigel, as you can see, Her Majesty the Queen has touched down in that RAF C-17 aircraft. Lawrence. It will then make its way via a state hearse to Buckingham Palace and we have had more details actually Nigel in the last few minutes uh, of who exactly is going to be uh, greeting Her Majesty's coffin at Buckingham Palace. So the King and Queen Consorts will be there alongside the Prince and Princess of Wales. We also have Prince Andrew, the Duke of York and Prince Edward, the Earl of Wessex, Princes William and Harry uh, Meghan Markle. We're also expecting Princess Catherine as well. Uh, Princess Beatrice and Eugenie, who are the Duke of York's two children. Viscount Seven and Lady Louise, who are the Earl and Countess of Wessex's two children. Sophie Wessex will also be there, as well as Princess Margaret's two children, Lady Sarah Chateau and Earl Snowden. So clearly, Nigel, lots of family members are very keen and really want to pay their respects to Her Majesty the Queen when she arrives at Buckingham Palace. No, absolutely. And Mark White, uh, she's going to be met, as I understand it, by the King's Guard. The body would be met by the King's Guard at the gates of Buckingham Palace. That's right, yes. Uh, the 1st Battalion Coldstream Guards, uh, we're told, will be there. That uh, uh, official uh, guard uh, for when the Royal Hearse goes into the quadrangle at Buckingham Palace and what's happening here of course you see that mighty Globemaster C-17, the four engine jet that is so familiar as a transport aircraft for the Royal Air Force Nigel. We all remember these aircraft coming back very regularly from Afghanistan uh, where the, um, those who have fallen or died in the conflict in Afghanistan uh, were flown back and then taken through the town of Wooten Bassett, now named of course Royal Wooten Bassett. Uh, so many of the Queen's uh, own soldiers who fought and died in Afghanistan taken back in the same flight that has taken her to RAF Northolt in West London. And the flights, the call sign of this flight was Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk, the name, the call sign that is normally given to a military flight when carrying the Queen. One last mark of respect to the late monarch uh, to give it the call sign Kitty Hawk as it progressed some 400 miles south from Edinburgh to here at RAF Norfolk. And they're preparing now uh, to take the VIPs off the aircraft before, of course, the bearer party takes uh, the coffin bearing Her Majesty's body off the back of that aircraft as well, uh, with some 96 aviators from the Colour Squadron, the Queen's Colour Squadron of the Royal Air Force, along with three officers who will form that Guard of Honour at RAF Norfolk, Nigel. 
Yes, and of course the Princess Royal, the Princess Royal accompanying her mother's body on that flight. The rest of the royal family already assembled, um, as Cameron Walker was telling us, ready at Buckingham Palace. Uh, Mark, do we anticipate about eight o'clock the arrival time? Yes, we're, we're expecting that uh, it should be just before 8 o'clock if it all goes to schedule, but you know what traffic can be like in West London, even with uh, the special escorts group, these uh, very, very efficient metropolitan police officers uh, on their white motorcycles and their whistles uh, that race up, stop the traffic at junctions and allow the motorcade to go through, even with them in in busy rush hour traffic coming to a very busy central London, it, there's always the possibility that they will make slow progress. But if they do, Nigel, that's one thing that many people along the route will probably welcome because there are already, we're told, thousands of people outside RAF Northolt uh, to pay their respects to the late monarch as that state hearse leaves RAF Northolt. And again, on that route, which we've now been publicising throughout the day and other broadcasters have as well, people gathering on the route, hoping to get a glimpse of the state hearse. Yes, now I'm sure that's right. And I mentioned the fact that the Princess Royal was on the aeroplane uh, with the coffin. And Cameron Walker, we saw a statement from the Princess Royal within the, within the course of the last hour. Yes, we have. Uh, in the last hour, excuse me, Nigel, uh, Princess, the Princess Royal has released a statement, quite a personal statement, saying it has been an honour and a privilege to accompany her on her final journey. She said she was, the Princess Royal said, she was fortunate to share the last 24 hours of my dearest mother's life. It has been an honour and a privilege. Witnessing the love and respect shown by so many of these journeys has been both humble and uplifting. We will all share unique memories. I offer my thanks to each and every one who share our sense of loss. So clearly there, the Princess Royal, Her Majesty the Queen's only daughter, accompanying her late mother on her final journey back here to London. Yeah, no, it is a very powerful statement indeed. And Cameron, the understanding that we had earlier in the day was that King Charles III and the Queen Consort would be there at Buckingham Palace. It's now a very much bigger reception party uh, from the royal family that will meet uh, the Queen's coffin. Um, is the inclusion of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, will that be seen to be yet another rapprochement, yet another potential healing process within the royal family, especially between the two brothers? Well, it was a big surprise, Nigel, a couple of days ago when the Prince and Princess of Wales invited the Duke and Duchess of Sussex to join them, greeting the crowds and reading floral tributes outside the gates of Windsor Castle. And perhaps that was a sense that there was some hope of reconciliation. Uh, we understand the Prince of Wales believes that he was very keen to have a show of unity between him and his brother, Prince Harry, at this time that their family and indeed the country are grieving the loss of Her Majesty the Queen. I think the fact that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are very much going to be part of this extended family gathering at Buckingham Palace later again points to the fact that reconciliation is possible. I'm just seeing on my screen, Nigel, that Her Majesty the Queen's coffin has been carried off of the RAF aircraft, the C-17, and soldiers are very carefully, very slowly, taking it towards the state hearse, which will allow Her Majesty to travel back to Buckingham Palace, a place she has been so many times and a focal point of the British monarchy for people around the world. Yes, for the first time since Her Majesty's death, she is now back on English soil, up until now, of course, she has been solely in Scotland. Um, and Mark White, this is the Royal Air Force performing these duties, yes? Yes, you can see eight um, aviators from the Queen's Colours Squadron of the Royal Air Force uh, bearing that coffin as they prepare to put it onto the state hearse. These are the same eight aviators who carried that coffin from 
the capital city of Scotland onto that Globemaster flight for the hour-long journey down here to RAF Northolt. Uh, these occasions always very solemn, always very beautiful, uh, as they, with great precision, in no hurry, carry that coffin towards the state house, placing Her Majesty's body on board that vehicle for the journey through the streets of West London down towards Buckingham Palace. And it will be an opportunity now, Nigel, as you said, uh, much of the focus has been on Scotland uh, over recent days, but this will be an opportunity for people here in the capital city to pay their respects. Of course, here around Buckingham Palace, and in fact, just in the last uh, 20 minutes or so, they've opened up one of the, the main pavements at the site, uh, at the front of the uh, Victoria Monument here on the, the front of Buckingham Palace uh, to allow many more people. And we can see there are thousands of people who are now crowding uh, on the pavements all around uh, Buckingham Palace, hoping uh, to get a view of that state house as it comes with the coffin bearing the body of the late monarch into Buckingham Palace and into the Quadrangle, where the honour guard from the 1st Battalion, the Coldstream Guards, will be there waiting, along with a bearer party from the 1st Battalion of the Grenadier Guards, who take over the duties that the RAF bearer party have performed so valiantly these last uh, couple of hours. Yes, and, and Mark, you know, they, they, they've, they've opened up the side, as you say, there are more people getting closer to those palace gates. I know it's been raining for the last hour or two, I don't suppose that's put the crowds off at all, uh, but is it, as I've experienced over the course of the last few days, a large number of people, but is it still very silent? Uh, it is. It's, it's one of the things that does really strike you about uh, uh, being around here. There's not a lot of laughter, there's not uh, a huge amount of conversation. Uh, yeah, quiet discussions amongst groups of people really reflecting on what has happened uh, at the end of last week and their thoughts about the Queen and what the Queen meant for them. It will be interesting to see how the crowd reacts when that state hearse pulls down uh, just, just the to streets. Just to interrupt you, Mark, a second. Corner. Just to interrupt you, Mark, for a second. The hearse it has now begun its journey. Um, it is now beginning to move on the tarmac at REF Northolt and is about to begin this 15-mile journey through West London, through the West End of London, to Buckingham Palace, where now a large number of the royal family will meet it along with the King's Guard. Um, I don't know whether we're going to be on time with this, but I guess we will. I'm thinking it is probably going to be, pretty much as predicted, bang on 8 o'clock at the time the hearse gets to Buckingham Palace. Uh, Cameron Walker, so the body will be taken into Buckingham Palace. Just explain for our viewers and listeners exactly where the coffin is going to go, please. So Her Majesty's coffin is going to be spending the night in what's called the Bow Room of Buckingham Palace. So that's through the grand entrance at the other side of the quadrangle. And it's the room kind of that goes straight through at the back of the palace, which opens up towards uh, the garden. And there it's going to be adorned with the imperial state crown, that incredibly famous crown, Nigel, that we see at every state opening of Parliament, which Her Majesty wore so many times during her life when she read the Queen's speech and, of course, during her coronation in June 1953. The crown will be placed on top of the coffin as well as a wreath of flowers and then tomorrow morning we're expecting in a ceremonial procession Her Majesty's coffin to be taken on a gun carriage from Buckingham Palace down the Mall towards Westminster where Her Majesty will lie in state uh, at Westminster Hall we're just watching for the hearse. four days. So the Cameron, Cameron, we're just watching the hearse go past the RAF guard of honour that for those of you watching on television is exactly what you're seeing 
at this moment in time. And we'll just for a moment let the pictures yes. do the talking until the hearse disappears from view, which it has now. Right, I'm going to come back to Cameron and Mark at Buckingham Palace in a moment, but as that hearse begins its 15-mile journey to Buckingham Palace, I'm going to go to Hyde Park Corner, uh, which, interestingly, was the code name for George VI's funeral arrangements, as London Bridge was for the Queen. And I'm going to be joined by Jeff Moody, who is there on the route. Jeff, can you hear me? I've been watching the crowds build and build and keep trying to count how many there are. There was, it was 10 deep about half an hour ago, now it's 15 deep and I think it's got as far as 20 deep. There are literally thousands of people everywhere. Some of them, of course, have been waiting here hours and hours. And they got a, a very nice treat about uh, an hour, hour and a half ago, a little reward for their patience. The King and Queen Consort's uh, car came along here, along High Park Corner and down towards Constitution Hill, and audible gasps, as you can imagine, from the crowds. And this is the route that uh, the hearse will take in much less than an hour now. I would say she'll be here in around half an hour, depending, of course, on the speed with which they travel. Um, we're expecting her to come along past the Dorchester Hotel, along Park Lane to Hyde Park Corner, and then to move off down Constitution Hill here. We're literally just about less than quarter of a mile from the palace where, as we know, the King and Queen Consort will be waiting there. Nigel, it's been a really surreal few days, hasn't it? Surreal. And I often think um, about what we'll remember in times to come. And one thing sticks in my mind that it was on the first day, the first day after we heard the dreadful news, a man approached me. He was a middle-aged man and he came up to me in the street and he said, you're a journalist, aren't you? Can I ask you a question? And I thought, here we go, what's, what's he going to ask? And he said to me, with tears in his eyes, do you think we'll ever get over this? And I really didn't know how to answer that. And I've been thinking about it continually ever since. And it's only being here this afternoon that the answer to that becomes quite clear, I think. Um, the crowd here have been waiting here for several hours and we've all pitched in. You know, somebody will say, oh, can you save my space? I'm off to the loo. Someone else will come back with coffee. They'll bring sandwiches. And that spirit, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unifying spirit. And I've never experienced that quite to that extent before. And it makes me think, Yes, we'll be OK. We move on. Back to you. Well, absolutely, Jeff Moody. We do move on. We have to move on. And thank you for that great report from Hyde Park Corner. Well, they are extraordinary scenes. Amazing the emotions that have been raised. I've said before this week that even though she was 96, I thought she'd go on for years and years. And I think we all thought there was some level of immortality about our Queen, but it wasn't to be. And it does bring back memories for some of us of events 25 years ago, almost exactly 25 years ago, when, of course, Diana, Princess of Wales, um, had been killed horribly in that car crash. And joining me is former Royal Protection Officer Ken Wharf. Ken, 25 years ago, I remember standing outside the gates of <clears throat> Buckingham Palace as the floral tributes began, much as I was there last Thursday evening. I think there's a difference here. Diana's death was totally unexpected, and it led to sort of... Well, I don't know what you think, but I felt when I was there, there was almost a sort of audible wailing from people. I was there one evening when the her well, I was there when her hearse came by. This is different, isn't it? It is. I, I, you mentioned in your intro there, Nigel, about the solemnity of, of this occasion. And it is in complete contrast uh, with Diana. I mean, two different circumstances. I, I, I think the, the interesting... Well, just for those watching can see the hearse now leaving the gates of RAF Northolt. Sorry, Cam. No, no. I, I, you know, and I think you mentioned earlier that the, the, the operation order here, uh, Operation London Bridge, for yes. the, 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 the arrangements for, for, for the Queen's funeral, um, in, dis, in complete contrast to Diana's, of course, because no one expected 
you know, Diana to die at that young age. And uh, interesting enough, when I was there, what we had to do was actually lift the, the operation order of the Queen Mother, Operation Tay Bridge at that point, and to click the button to put into process, to progress rather, how we were to deal with this. Um, but, you know, what, what I found so interesting here is that everyone talks about the quietness and stillness. Mm. And I was at Buckingham Palace earlier today. Um, and and I was I was amazed that given the numbers of people there, yeah. just how quiet it it's, was. It's almost people. eerie, isn't it? But it, it, it was. But I, I think that you know we've had so many members of the of the royal family talk about in in, in great um, reflection and fondness of the Queen, and um, you know this is the time to talk about fun and laughter. But of course, you know the Queen will be remembered for her sense of humour, as mm. indeed the King has said now on so many occasions. Um, but but the, the the interest in in, in this uh, this event is, has been extraordinary. Um, but you know Operation London Bridge, Operation Unicorn in 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 in, in Edinburgh and Scotland, and this is a sort of a fine tuned operation both by the police and government to guarantee a the safety. Of, of, of the Queen herself now uh, in her final days um, and also um, to protect the, the, the public. I mean, we, we hear of upwards of 750,000 people invading London, you know, coming to show their respects and, and the concerns about security. But from my own experience, having worked, um, you know, in the process of the late Queen Mother's Operation Order Tabridge when she died in 2002, yeah. um, one, <clears throat> one thing we can be certain of, of course, is the expertise of, of the Yard and the policing of major uh, ceremony events such as this. I mean, it, it is second to none because nowhere in the world has there ever been such an operation order, you know, where, whereby, you know, there's a completely transcend what we, we see today. Um, but there are concerns. Well, there are concerns. But I have to say, for my money, I think that the government effectively telling people don't come to London because London could be full, it could be dangerous. Do you know something? There are going to be 10,000 police on mm. duty, several thousand soldiers on duty. We can, from the very window we're sitting at, see the route mm. that people will walk up uh, so that they can, they can go into Westminster Hall. And everywhere I've gone, the mood is calm. It's not one of panic. It's not one of stampede. Mm. I think we're rather unnecessarily saying to people, don't come to London. Well, I think so. I, 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 and, you know, I can understand it. You know, we had that incident in Edinburgh yesterday when uh, a lone protester made some remark at the, yeah, the Duke the, of York. But, but, so but, what? But exactly. But, but this happens all the time. Yes. If we look at what happened in 1981 when Her Majesty the Queen uh, was shot at with blanks, thankfully, at the Trooping of the Colour uh, and so forth, th this is inevitable. You know, we, we cannot guard completely. Security no. doesn't guarantee 100%. But what I can say that, uh, you know, following that incident and many other royal incidents, of course, you know, the Yard learned from the experience. And, and given the resources that we now have our disposal, or the Yard's disposal, mm. with the assistance of the military and, 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 and a growing awareness of how to deal with these things, I'm pretty confident that this will go so am I. You know, without so an incident. So and, and I think I, we can all sit back yeah. and reflect about this. <laughs> and the passing of a monarch of, of, of 70 years, and we're, we're never likely to see an event, none of us in the world no. today will see this again. And when you heard the news, how did it, how did it affect you, Cam? Well, I, I was, you know, I was, you know, saddened by it. And having sort of had the privilege of working within the royal family yeah. for 16 years, um, I, I had a few occasions of working with the Queen, notably mainly, of course, with, with, the, with, with Diana and the Prince of Wales. But, you know, Diana, the Prince of Wales, the King now, of course, he is, mm. you, know, you know, a difficult time for him during the 80s and 90s. But, but a man who was, was blessed with a great sense of humour, was a very compassionate man. You know, there was I effectively on the other side, if you like. Yeah, because it was but, difficult. Yeah. But, but he, he showed a great deal of respect and understood exactly the difficulties that I was ex working with at that particular time. And I personally think that, um, you know, we have to put aside the, the differences of what happened there in the 80s and 90s and, and, and look forward to the future. Because I do think that, that, that we, we have a king here that will make differences. He wanted very much his two sons to be part of this, this change. Sadly, it looks as though he's lost one third of that at the moment. But if we look at the perhaps the rapprochement that's happened at Windsor recently, mm. um, who knows? I mean, he'd be very, very keen to try and bring back the Duke yes, in some shape or form. We don't know that. I'm I don't sure, know, Nigel, but let's I'm just sure see what will. happens on that. Yeah, I mean, if, if Harry doesn't publish that book, it might help just a little bit. 
Well, I mean, you know, he's going to have to do some reflecting here yes. on this. And, and, you know, it's not a question of publishing a book to actually make money out of it. You know, he doesn't need that. Um, maybe, you know, now, and I was thinking about this today only, that maybe this is the chance, maybe he'd be thinking of actually pulping this book. Um, because, mm. you know, what's the, the damage of, of this? Well, I, agree. I, I think that's, you know, I think maybe <laughs> he will reflect on I this. I agree. Some snap polling out today saying 73% think King Charles III has made a very good start. As few as 5% think he's done badly or very badly. Just your thoughts on King Charles III. I think, he, I think he's made a, a remarkable warming approach to his kingship. You know, I think he's shown a great deal of humility. Um, and given the fact that the, 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 the publicity that surrounded this and the difficulties that that I'm sure that he's been thinking of, you know, through 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 the last few days, and, and notably what's happened in his life, the changes from you know his divorce with his first wife, the meeting of Camilla, and all of that 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 that, that garnered a great deal of negative publicity at the time. I think he's moved very very forward on this, and, I, and my own view is, having met him on many many occasions, I've always admired his sense of humour, and his uh, and and his charisma and his and his warmth really, and I think he's shown that in the last few days wherever he's been. I think we've seen a very uh, tactile prince, certainly outside of Buckingham Palace and and indeed in Scotland wherever he's been, and I think you know I think it bodes very well actually for him, and I look. I, I have views, of course, of the past, but I, I do wish him well, and I think the country will be better for King Charles III. Ken Wolfe, thank you very much indeed. And while on the subject of Charles III, think about Charles III's day today. He started off the day in Scotland. He has been to Northern Ireland once again, having to make a big speech. He's then flown back to London, and he's going to be there leading the royal party meet the Queen's body in 25 minutes' time or whatever it is going to be. And to reflect on all of that, Darren McCaffrey, our political editor, is in Northern Ireland. Darren, it's been a big, busy day in Northern Ireland. Please explain to us the events that you've seen. Yeah, the sun is setting here in Belfast and what, as you say, has been another extraordinary day. An extraordinary day, I think, for the people of Northern Ireland. In many ways, actually, this day went as might have been predicted, as we might have thought. And I'll come on to that in a second. But I say extraordinary, Nigel, because I was genuinely taken back by the sheer number of people on the streets here in Belfast at today who were here to welcome at King Charles. And unlike what I saw in Scotland yesterday, actually, quite a lot of people here were making noise. They were frankly warm and happy and joyous to see uh, George III here. And, and I think in many regards, uh, that is a sign, not of disrespect to uh, Queen Elizabeth II, but rather a, a sense that they are part of the narrative, part of the national narrative for lots of people here in Northern Ireland to be included in this royal tour the Prince, sorry, the King Charles is doing around the United Kingdom. Now let's talk about the politics here because clearly politics is a pervading thing that uh, weaves its way into the narrative of everything and you're right the King started his morning at Hillsborough Castle, the official royal residence uh, here in Northern Ireland and he met political parties from across the board uh, including it must be said the SDLP the Nationalist Party and of course Sinn Féin uh, Michelle O'Neill who in many ways should be the first minister of Northern Ireland if the executive was up and running they talked for quite a long uh, time and he also went to a religious service at St Anne's Cathedral again attended by the head of the Anglican Church here in Ireland but also the Roman Catholic Church and there as well we had Liz Truss the Prime Minister but alongside that you also had the Irish president, Michael D. Higgins, the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, a reminder that actually this wasn't just a, a, a remembrance and a celebration of Queen Elizabeth's life here in Northern Ireland, but actually across the island of Ireland in many regards, and a reminder of the role that she'd played, particularly in the last decade or so, in reconciliation, that state visit, what, around 10 years ago, that was so significant, that handshake with Martin McGuinness, and a sense that there is a responsibility, and one that... It seems King Charles is very keen to take up, to carry on that effort of reconciliation, to make that difference to the people of Northern Ireland. So lots of pomp and ceremony again, lots of religious service and a lot of celebration and remembrance of Queen Elizabeth's uh, life. But what I'll take away from today, Nigel, is seeing those images through the streets here in Belfast, City Hall behind me, of thousands of people, five, 10, 15 deep again, welcoming a king. I'm pleased to see him in this corner of the United Kingdom. 
And yes, it's true that there are a lot of people here in Northern Ireland who, of course, are nationalists who are Republican. They don't believe in the monarchy. They don't believe in the United Kingdom. They want to see United Ireland. But there are also an awful lot of people who are ardent unionists, who are ardent monarchists here. And they had a day to remember, I can tell you that. Darren McCaffrey, thank you very much indeed for that. Well, I'm joined now by Lord Nigel Dodds, former deputy leader of the DUP, now, of course, a member of the House of Lords. And Darren reporting there, you know, big enthusiastic crowds in Belfast, meeting King Charles, uh, but equally, you know, Sinn Féin being pretty respectful. What interested me was to find out that Charles had already visited Northern Ireland on 40 separate occasions. So he's not exactly a Johnny-come-lately there, is he? No, he's not. He's been a very regular visitor and knows an awful lot about uh, the politics of Northern Ireland has interested himself in the many of the historic buildings of Belfast and other Queen parts Consort, of Northern Ireland. One second, Nigel. Queen Consort Camilla has just arrived at Buckingham Palace. Sorry, continue. No, I mean, it's a very fast-moving day, is. isn't it? We have to keep across events. But Prince Charles, he shows a real interest in Northern Ireland. And uh, he, indeed, he has promised, I think, to visit every county in the Irish Republic as well. Wow, so that's a big that, ask. That's a big ask. And uh, he, he um, has, uh, I think, played a big role in terms of the royal family in Northern Ireland. People love the royal family across uh, the unionist per, uh, community yes. particularly. But you're right to reference the fact that there is a great deal of respect across the nationalist community as well for yes. Her Majesty the Queen. And uh, that has been evidenced today. And I'm, I'm delighted to see that actually. Yeah. Now, of course, not everybody takes that view. Uh, but what we do ask for is respect. Even if you disagree, there's a 96-year-old grandmother who has played such a fantastic role in terms of her service and duty to the country. And... Uh, uh, I, I'm just pleased the way the visit today has gone and the respect that's been shown for uh, no, the, uh, Her Majesty. No, I agree with that. And we saw the same in Scotland yesterday from the SNP. Yeah, absolutely. A great level of respect. Uh, being absolutely. Shown. I mean, it just shows you the respect and the standing that the Queen absolutely. has. And, and, and I think uh, the, the new King Charles, I mean, he has, I think, made a really great start and I hope that that continues. But I think the foundations have been laid in such a solid way by Her Majesty over 70 years that the, the monarchy is as strong today as it's ever been. And I think going forward, uh, it augurs well. Now, there was a remarkable event yesterday morning. I was watching it on television as the King and the Queen Consort entered Westminster yes. Hall and as they went down the aisle. I saw Dodds in the photograph, <laughs> in, the, in the live picture, and you were there. The king in Parliament, the ultimate yeah. expression of sovereignty. There is nothing higher than that. What was it like as an event? Yes. This, this is the British Constitution in action, the personification of the crown in Parliament. So Parliament consists of the House of Commons, which we're very familiar with, the House of Lords, but also the monarch the king. Um, so the House of Commons is elected, the House of Lords as part of Parliament has to agree, give its assent to laws. Yeah. But the king, the queen, whoever is monarch, summons the new prime minister, appoints the prime minister, yeah. gives the opening speech in Parliament, opens Parliament and dissolves Parliament. Very much ceremonial, reads the speech given to it by, yeah. by, by the government of the day. But it's a symbol of how the Queen or the King of the day stands above politics, but is the apex of the British Constitution. Um, just a mark. We've never seen this before. Most of us. Most of us have never seen it. We certainly haven't seen it on television. No. Uh, and just as with the Accession Council, the Privy Council, and did first you, time and, ever. And did you approve of that being opened up? Oh, I, I absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really good that the public are able to see this happen. And it takes away some of the mystique of, of some of the things that happen in terms of the constitutional outworkings of, of the United Kingdom. And I think it's wonderful for our young people to see that particularly. Yes, uh, as you say, I mean, in, in this context, Nigel, you and I are young because, <laughs> because we weren't <laughs> yes, around right. in 1952. Um, and I agree with you. I think, that, uh, I think that Charles is off to a very good, solid start. And that 73% snapshot poll yeah. showing that people think he's doing a good job, it really means that he is. And just a final thought on him in Northern Ireland. I mean, he isn't really going to visit every county in the Republic, is he? Well, he has said he will. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they'd be able to follow that through yeah. now that he's yeah. king. I mean, but um, 
He's certainly been to every county in Northern Ireland, and um, I, I think that uh, the outpouring of warmth and, jo and, 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 and joy that people had in, in him coming to uh, accede yeah. to the throne uh, matches the deep sorrow that people also feel for the passing of the late it's Queen. It's that strange mixture yeah. of emotions yeah, that I think we're all going through. People will be so sad, lining the streets of London, well. Belfast, Edinburgh, are sad deeply sorrowful about the death of Her Majesty, but at the same time they want to know, celebrate and cheer. It's like, the Queen is dead, long live the King. Nigel Dodds, thank you very much indeed. And talking of solemnity, tomorrow is going to be a pretty extraordinary day at 2.22 on the dot. The Queen's coffin on a gun carriage will leave Buckingham Palace for the last time, proceed down the Mall with the Queen's four children walking behind where it will go into Westminster Hall, where it will lay in state for four days and four nights. Now, already we've seen very, very big crowds making their way into London. I've been to Buckingham Palace four times now and witnessed those crowds and witnessed the silence, witnessed the solemnity. But I'm really sorry. The government advising, you know, don't come to London unless you have to. Don't come to London, we can't guarantee your safety. Well, this is an example, once again, of government just applying the precautionary principle in simply the most ridiculous way. They keep on doing it, whether it's COVID, whatever else it is, you know, it's almost like don't leave your front house if it's windy. Don't leave your front house if it's raining. Don't come to London. London could be full. I've never heard such utter rubbish. In all my life. If you want to come to London and take part in this incredible piece of history, show your respect for that amazing woman that was the Queen. Now, those watching on television can see this is Lambeth Bridge. This is where ultimately everybody that is in that queue will come. And there you see the tented village that's been put up outside the Palace of Westminster. In there, there are the metal detectors. The, the route is lined lined with security people. There will be thousands of police. There will be thousands of troops. Uh, honestly, this has been planned for a long, long time. We do these things in this country very, very well. I, my urging to you is don't be put off coming to London because of this nonsensical statement that London might be full. It might be busy, it might be inconvenient, it might be rather busy on the underground, but I promise you, it is not an experience you should miss out on, or your children should miss out on, should you wish to come and do it. And if the government don't like that, well, they don't like much that I say. But I promise you, this is beautifully planned, it's very, very safe. Please come and take part in it in some way, if you can. Now, the lying in state. It happened last time with the Queen Mother in 2002, and I remember myself filing past that coffin. Well, joining me to discuss this is Martin Whitock, historian. Martin, this whole business of lying in state, this is almost at the heart, isn't it, of our constitutional monarchy system. It's that dramatic moment when the citizens of the nation can come and pay respect to the sovereign. Up until this point, everything's been at something of a distance, and rightly so. But here is that moment where in Westminster Hall, when the body of Her Majesty is laid there, ordinary people can come and quietly say goodbye. It's very, very moving. Uh, it will be draped with the, uh, the royal standard. The imperial crown will be there on the catafalque. Yeah. This is where the, uh, the coffin will be, will, will be placed. Honour Guard will be there, and it's an opportunity for ordinary people to say, goodbye, Your Majesty. And it's something we've been doing ever since this system, our system, was developed. Very much so, because what this then leads to, of course, is, is the state funeral. And that, of course, is, is, is the, the major, major issue that we're thinking about for next Monday, for example. First state funeral in the modern era is uh, Queen Mary uh, in 1695. Which is immediately after the big constitutional settlement that established... I mean, it's, isn't, it, isn't it interesting? Yeah. You know, we've almost, apart from A-level history, we've never discussed the no. constitutional... This week, the country's learning what yeah. a constitutional monarchy is. Absolutely. 1688, glorious revolution, brings in William and Mary, and uh, the very first state funeral that we would re-recognise in the modern era is Mary in 695, and then it's William in 1702. And that, and that is accompanied by a lying in state. Yes, lying in state, followed by the, uh, the state funeral, which, of course, is next Monday. Yes. Now, Diana's funeral, of course, wasn't a state funeral. No. Because she wasn't HRH yes. at the time. 
but it has been extended to one or two civilians, hasn't it, over the years? Yes, yes, certainly. Uh, basically, the state funeral has sometimes been used to honour other people. So, for example, Isaac Newton, as in yes. uh, gravity, uh, Nelson, uh, Wellington, Palmerston, Gladstone, mm -hmm. uh, some, some that will be less familiar, uh, Edith Cavell, the, the nurse who was shot in Brussels in the First World War. So it has been used as a way of honouring particular people and, of course, most recently, to Winston Churchill. Yes. So this is the first state funeral we've had since Winston Churchill. Other funerals of the Queen Mother, for example, out of Diana, uh, these are ceremonial royal funerals, yes. same ceremonial royal funeral for the um, Duke of Edinburgh as well. Yes, as opposed to full state funerals. That's correct. Yes. Which have to have the sanction of Parliament and are paid for by Parliament. And some of the protocol, which involves either it's the Earl Marshal, if it's a state funeral, uh, or it's the Lord Chamberlain, if it's a, a royal a ceremonial funeral, there are other differences yeah. as well. But the coffin being pulled by horses for a ceremonial funeral, funeral or or by the Navy if it's state funeral. And, and this is now the state hearse going past Hyde Park Corner. So it has actually made much more rapid progress, Lovely. perhaps, than we, than we thought it was going to. Uh, just a final thought, Martin, as an historian, uh, this awakening mm. of the British public to yes. our system and how it works, is that the one good thing that comes out of the death of our wonderful Queen? I think the other good thing is that we've really recognised her, now she's gone, how wonderful she was. We said it before, now we really know it. But yes, I think there is a point to that. I think we are becoming more aware of our constitutional position, the relationship of the sovereign to his two nations, for example, yep. uh, to the, all the other nations in Scotland and in England, of which, you know, the king of yep. one and king of the other as well, with different relationships with, with, with the church there. But the relationship of the monarch with, with, with Ireland and, of course, with Wales, with the totality of the United Kingdom, it is getting us to think about who we are as a United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, who we are, how we come together and how we exist under this overarching umbrella yep. of the British monarchy. And the rest of the world is jealous and the rest of the world is looking in and uh, it, it's a global event. It is extraordinary. Everybody is talking about it across, across the world. Unbelievable. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Yeah, Thank you. It's a living history lesson for all of us. I'm going to go back to Northern Ireland and speak to the former First Minister of Northern Ireland, Arlene Foster. Arlene, good evening to you. Um, clearly, Charles has made a good impression today. Um, did he manage to stay out of politics? Because that's never easy when you go to Northern Ireland. Yes, indeed, uh, he did. And actually, Nigel, uh, I know you've been reflecting on this throughout the programme. Uh, Charles has been to Northern Ireland on many, many occasions and has taken a huge interest in uh, the work of reconciliation in Northern Ireland and indeed between uh, our two islands. So he has been doing all of that work quietly behind the scenes, supporting his mother, the Queen, uh, so this is just a continuation of his work here in Northern Ireland. And I think everybody was just so delighted to see him today. I, uh, like many others, uh, was really taken by the warmth of the crowds towards Charles today. They were shouting, God save the king. They were cheering. They were clapping. They were just so delighted to see him coming to Belfast uh, to that service of Thanksgiving, which was in St. Anne's Cathedral today. Yeah, and he's clearly making a big reach out, not just to the whole of the United Kingdom, uh, but clearly this promise that he's made to the, to, to the Republic. That seems pretty remar remarkable, Arlene. Yeah, well, he's visited the Republic um, quite a few times privately uh, and also uh, officially as well. Uh, I think I heard my former colleague Nigel Dodd saying that he said he wanted to visit every county uh, in Ireland. That's, of course, uh, six in Northern Ireland, 26 in the Republic of Ireland. I don't know how many he has uh, visited thus far, but I think he's been to quite a few. Uh, and he has this warm relationship uh, with Ireland. He uh, loves to visit. Uh, and uh, we're just very proud of him here in Northern Ireland as our new sovereign. Uh, I think people have really taken to the fact that he has decided to go to the four nations of the United Kingdom on this trip uh, before his mother's funeral, recognising Nigel, and I think it's important to say this, recognising that he is mourning the loss of his mother, whilst at the same time doing all of these ceremonial duties, coming and meeting people who are delighted to see him, who are sympathising with him uh, about his mother. It's a huge strain uh, and he must be exhausted already. Uh, and I just hope and pray that he finds the strength uh, to get through the next week because it is a huge week for him to get through. It certainly is, Arlene. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, just before the 
coffin arrives at Buckingham Palace. I'm joined by Baroness Tina Stull. And Tina, you're a former leader of the House of Lords, but you're a former holder of the Privy Seal, the Lord Privy Seal. Now, we just spoke to our historian, and there are all these grand titles and all these things that happen in places like the House of Lords that most of the country, frankly, hasn't really heard of, but we are learning this yeah. week again about the British Constitution, about the system that was developed back in 1688 and which has served this country remarkably. And as Lord Privy Seal, I mean, you are sort of the fifth highest office holder in the entirety of the United Kingdom. Well, yeah, you have to draw a distinction between the great officer of yes. state and the great yes. officers. But yes. yes, it was. The Lord Privy Seal is the... Is so the tell us what the Lord Privy Seal does, please. Well, the Lord Privy Seal is a, is a historic role. And in the past, what it uh, did was the keeper of the seal of private correspondence from the monarch. So any um, any communication from the monarch, um, in order to, for it to be authorised and to be seen to be real, had to have the imprint of um, the privy seal, privy being, you know, the sort of... Yeah word for private. These days um, it is a purely a ceremonial uh, role and it, uh, it is usually attached to a cabinet position. It doesn't have to be the leader of the House of Lords but it's more often than not it's the leader of the House of Lords and you will have seen on Saturday the Lord President of the Council uh, who is currently the uh, leader of the House of Commons and is Penny Mordaunt and, and what the Lord Privy Seal does is, is one of the most frequent attendees of Privy Council um, meetings. And uh, in the House of Lords, I mean, one of the things that uh, the Lord Privy Seal does is on uh, state opening, um, yep. uh, carries the cap of maintenance in front of Her Majesty as she um, processes from the uh, robing room into the chamber. And it may be ceremonial as you say, and you're downplaying it, but actually it is an important part of what we've been doing in this country, as I say, since 1688. It's our system. Absolutely, and I think it's, you know, all of these things, you, you can argue, well, why do we still need these things? But they, they are important, there are important symbols of continuity. We've talked a lot about the last few days about how the Queen is representing constancy, but actually it's continuity which is brings the stability yes, of our nation. Yes, this is the point. Yeah. And, uh, and these roles, where it's the Earl Marshal, I heard um, your last guest uh, refer to, or the Lord Chamberlain, all of these positions have been around for centuries. And whilst the responsibilities that are attached to these roles have changed uh, over, you know, over the decades yeah. and, uh, and the years that have gone by, the fact that they're still there and uh, there, is, there is still important part of our constitution mm. is, is, is important. No, I agree and, with you. Um, I agree with you. We, we see the crowds now waiting in front of mm. Buckingham Palace, and I'm assuming that the, 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 the hearse cannot be very far away. No, I mean, the alternative, of course, to all this colour and all this tradition is some very dreary republic where we have a former politician from the Conservative or Labour Party who's president. And, 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 and that's why I think the monarchy is so strong. It's also interesting, Tina, isn't it, that around the rest of Europe, many of their monarchies have been completely downgraded to the point where they almost have no status at all. Yeah. And all these events uh, that are taking place here, such as, and I had Nigel Dodds in the chair a moment ago, but such as the King addressing the joint houses, the rest of the world's looking on. Yeah, I mean, it projects our authority. I think so. You know, as, a, as we may be a small uh, nation state, but we have real authority. And, and, uh, and this is, you know, this is part of what it yeah. is. The other thing that struck me this last few days, I mean, we talk about the fact we don't have a written constitution in our country. What we do is we demonstrate our constitution. You know, you, you get to see our constitution uh, in action and um, it's living and breathing quite literally. Yes, and it's completely unique. And you, you wouldn't design it on a piece of paper, but it, but it, evolved, through yeah. a, it evolved through a civil yeah. war and a glorious revolution. And I mean, the way that I put it, it's our way. Yeah. This is how we've done things. And I have to say, I rather like it. And I think the more the great British public see it, but the more they like it. Given your role, uh, particularly on the Privy Council, you clearly you know, saw the Queen up close, working, and she was a very, very well-read well-researched, diligent woman, wasn't she? Very much so, very much so. I mean, she was, she, it was mesmerizing to be in the same room as her, I always used to feel. I mean, I, I, I she fascinates, she's just a fascinating person. And, um, but, but 
um, strangely normal at the same time sometimes, you know, to be able to sort of see this real human being, but, you know, such an important, uh, famous uh, figure. Um, but yes, she had always meticulously prepared for mm. everything, mm. whether it's from a small audience welcoming somebody into a new position, uh, and having done their, her, her homework, knowing about that person so she could talk to them about um, their background or whether it was in a Privy Council and all of the different matters at hand. And you saw on Saturday in the accession ceremony, there's not a lot of discussion in these, uh, in these meetings. They are quite um, brisk and, um, and uh, don't, you know, doesn't require a lot of uh, debate. But it was always clear that uh, there was there was nothing that was before Her Majesty that she hadn't already been briefed on and was satisfied yeah. that in giving her approval, she knew exactly what she was giving her approval for. And of course the interesting thing is this includes not just the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but the other realms as well. A lot of, lot of work and responsibility with those too. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, and she was, she was somebody who, um, you know, was, was incredibly well informed. I mean, I, I used to find, uh, you know, I, I, I almost didn't want to sort of uh, engage in conversation with her because I wouldn't want to show my ignorance. You know, he was, sort of, you know, he was always sort of fearful. That, Not you, of uh, all people. But this is somebody who, you know, was so, was, was so knowledgeable that uh, there was no topic that she didn't know uh, about. And um, and she was, you know, incredibly well respected and, and well regarded, as we know, you know, all around the world. Oh, goodness me. And, you know, I mean, I mean, clearly, you know, I had this completely wrong because when we had speculation, I heard speculation about, you know, her lack of mobility and what her health might be. And I said to everybody, complete rubbish. She's clearly going to go on for year after year after year. I, I got it into my head that she was somehow immortal. I don't, I don't think I was alone. No, in thinking I felt that. the same, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, how did you feel when you yeah. heard the news? I was, I was genuinely shocked, you know, for that very reason, as you say, that I couldn't imagine life without her. Um, I also thought, as much as we knew that she was frail, um, that somehow, it, you know, she was still, she was still very much um, present amongst us. You know, she wasn't frail to the point that, you know, we thought of her as a, you know, she wasn't, she hadn't become a, a bedridden old lady. 48 hours before, she was saying well, goodbye to Boris Johnson. Exactly. A welcoming Liz Truss. Exactly. Trust. So I think we all thought she was going to go on uh, forever. And I think there was a part of me as well that was a little bit fearful of her passing because, oh. you know, I, I, I felt that this was going to be such a seismic event and so, um, disruptive and unsettling for us as a, you know, as a people and as a nation. And I think one of the most magnificent things of the last few days has been the way that people have clearly been very saddened by the Queen's death, but are so ready to embrace our new King and yes. want him to do well. Yes. You know, because him doing well is about us doing well. Well, it's how the world sees us. Yeah. I mean, the Queen wasn't just the most famous person in the no. world. When people thought of this country, she was probably yes. the first person yes. that they actually thought of. Yeah. You know. Well, I must say, Baroness Stoll, thank you for coming in and explaining what the Lord Privy Seal is. Uh, and I bet there are lots of people watching this and listening to this, quite jealous of you, really, that you got to know the Queen and see the Queen. Well, I was very privileged. Yeah, well, thank you very much indeed for coming in and sharing that experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. So we can see the crowds there getting ready at Buckingham Palace. Um, I don't exactly know where the hearse is, but I wonder whether Cameron Walker, who's down at Buckingham Palace for GB News, can enlighten us. Cameron. We've had some more details through actually from the Royal Household about the state hearse carrying Her Majesty the Queen's coffin. Uh, so it's actually been designed by the British company Jaguar Land Rover uh, in, uh, in talks with the Royal Household and we're told that Her Majesty the Queen was actually consulted on the plans for the hearse. So it's finished in uh, Royal royal clarets the same color as the official royal and state vehicles kept in the royal mews just uh, around the side of buckingham palace and used by members of the royal family on official duties so those cars we're all familiar with the vehicle features the queen's uh, personal royal cipher and uh, the state hearse has been designed to allow members of the public to have a clear view of her majesty's coffin as it travels through london and indeed on monday the 19th of September when it travels from Westminster Abbey to Windsor.
Now, I was told, Cameron, about five minutes ago that the hearse was going around Hyde Park Corner. Uh, perhaps I got bad information. Do you, do you know where the hearse is right now? So we're looking at it on a we're looking at it on a camera here. We believe it's probably about five minutes out from where we are here at Buckingham Palace. It's definitely in central London, that's for sure. We believe it's going down Park Lane at the moment, so I can't think it's going to be much more than five minutes, but the crowds and on either side of a street are at least six, seven people deep and here at Buckingham Palace Nigel despite the wet weather conditions there are thousands of people here waiting to get a glimpse their first glimpse of Her Majesty the Queen's coffin and I think it's at that point Nigel when we see Her Majesty's hearse and coffin here at Buckingham Palace that is going to really hit home for a few people here this evening. Yes I think uh, certainly in, in, in terms of England it will hit home very hard, very strong, Buckingham Palace. Yes, there's Windsor. Yes, there's Sandringham, which is their more private home in the United Kingdom. But I think we, the English associate Buckingham Palace with the Queen. They have done, well, perhaps in some ways, you know, she was there on VE Day, for goodness sake. Um, Mark White, um, what are you seeing from your position there? Can you see the guard in position waiting already? How does this now work, this next stage? So about 25 minutes ago, Nigel, we saw the 1st Battalion, the Coldstream Guards, uh, marching from uh, Wellington Barracks uh, down to the front to Buckingham Palace and then into the quadrangle area where they will um, line up to present this honour guard for the state hearse as it pulls into Buckingham Palace and through into the quadrangle. And then, of course, we know there are senior members of the royal family, including uh, the king, the queen, uh, effectively uh, every senior royal, apart from Princess uh, Anne, the Princess Royal, who has the solemn duty, we know, of accompanying uh, the body of her mother, the late monarch, down from Balmoral initially, uh, down through uh, Aberdeen, Dundee, Perth, into Edinburgh. She was with her mother throughout that period and now of course uh, on that flight, that C-17 Globemaster that came down to RAF Northolt and landed what uh, about an hour or so uh, ago there. So she is in one of the uh, following vehicles following the state hearse as it comes down now we believe quite close to Hyde Park Corner. So it won't be long now before the camera position uh, with Jeff Moody, my colleague in Hyde Park Corner, is able to get uh, a view of that state hearse uh, passing his vantage point. And of course, the closer you get into the heart of central London, the more those crowds continue to build. Uh, here, just in the last uh, 10, 15 minutes, they opened up the bottom end of the Mall Roadway, Nigel. What we had for the last few days uh, was the pavements being used, but the Mall Roadway having to remain open uh, on the, uh, the Mall heading up towards uh, Horse Guards area because you had uh, VIPs, the Royal Family and others using that roadway uh, all of the time. So now just for the the arrival of the state hearse, they have closed off the roadway, allowed uh, a few thousand people to come down and they are gathered there in the wet, the drich as Her Majesty would have known it uh, up in her beloved Scotland. Uh, it doesn't matter that uh, adverse weather condition is no bar to these people who want to come down to pay their respects and be part of what is uh, a state occasion, uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity to um, see this spectacle and to pay, as I say, their respects to someone who served this country country over seven decades. Oh, absolutely. And Cameron, the next, the next part of this, I guess, will be, will be the most private part of the next few days when 
when the coffin is in the bow room, that is when not just members of the royal family, but members of the royal household will be able to pay their respects. And that is going to be a, pri as I understand it, Cameron, that will be a private business without cameras. Yes, exactly, Nigel. Well, when it uh, arrives at Buckingham Palace, the state hearse, a further guard of honour uh, found by the King's Guard will receive the coffin as it arrives at the grand entrance here at Buckingham Palace, whereupon it will be carried by um, a bearer party founded by the Queen's Company, the 1st Battalion Grenadier Guards, to the bow room, as you mentioned, Nigel, where it will be placed on trestles in the centre of the room. And then this arrival sequence, as we've mentioned, will be witnessed by the King and Queen Consort, as well as other extended members of the royal family, including the Prince and Princess of Wales and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, uh, and then a rota of chaplains to the King, who were formally appointed by the Queen, will keep watch over the coffin while it rests in the bow room in private before the big ceremonial procession tomorrow, Nigel, where it is transported in a gun carriage from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall to lie in state. Yes, the extraordinary thing, I thought, looking at the programming for tomorrow, the extraordinary thing, Mark White, I thought, was when I read that the gun carriage will leave the gates of Buckingham Palace at 2.22 p.m. And I saw today soldiers out with pay sticks. I mean, clearly, they've actually got tomorrow worked out to the nearest minute and the nearest 10 paces. Uh, they have, and they absolutely, we know, will stick to that time as they uh, have over the last few nights, Nigel, in the early hours of the morning, been out uh, walking that parade route, uh, some in full uniform, uh, some of the time not in full uniform, but uh, pacing it out, uh, checking sometimes with horses, sometimes with bands and muffled drums, so as not to wake the few residents around here. We should say that the state hearse now uh, coming down towards Hyde Park Corner, where I'm sure that uh, our colleague uh, Jeff Moody is uh, ready and prepared to capture these images uh, as the Outriders pass Hyde Park Corner. Jeff Moody, can I get you? No, I can't connect with him. Uh, probably signal problems, but there is, we can now for the first time clearly see the Queen's coffin in the hearst and as it goes around Hyde Park Corner, uh, police, soldiers bow their heads and the crowd stands, much as they have been for the last few days, in stillness and silence under their umbrellas. So we are just a few minutes away, a couple of minutes away, I'd have thought, from Buckingham palace um, mark uh, back uh, mark back on that um or, or cameron whichever one of you um so we, we're going to hear tonight at some point where people should assemble if they want to attend the lying in state do we know what time that statement's going to come Lying in state uh, statements perhaps will come at some point this evening, Nigel, but I think for now the focus is on Her Majesty the Queen's coffin arriving at Buckingham Palace. We have just seen the first police uh, motorbike outriders appear around the Victoria Memorial here outside Buckingham I Palace. I can just see the state hearse coming into view here. Uh, we're going to pause uh, clearly as a mark of respect as the state hearse carrying the body of Queen Elizabeth II pulls down towards Buckingham Palace and you can listen to the crowds. given the size of the crowd, not many of them, it seemed to me, were doing that. Some are, 
Maybe more are now. And there's a much broader round of applause now coming in. Cameron, um, Cameron Walker, um, had you expected this applause to break out like this? I hadn't, Nigel. You could hear a pin drop just before no. uh, the hearse came into view, and I think it was pretty spontaneous. And in fact, I, I, I certainly wasn't expecting, and I don't think a majority of people here were expecting the state hearse to do a loop around the Victoria Memorial. So the thousands of people who have gathered on the Mall and around the memorial, as many people as possible, could get a good view of Her Majesty the Queen's coffin. As I mentioned earlier, the coffin has been specifically, uh, sorry, uh, the state hearse has been specifically designed so the public can get a good view of Her Majesty the Queen before the state hearse took Her Majesty through the central gates here at Buckingham Palace uh, into the uh, forecourt uh, to be taken into the, via the state entrance to the bow room. Uh, but yes, spontaneous applause, Nigel, perhaps appropriate for such a historic occasion. Yes, perhaps it was. I was. I must say, I was surprised by it. But there we are. I suppose one starts, everybody starts, and it's. I suppose almost an emotional outpouring as people have sat there, uh, stood there, getting wet and being very, very sombre. So the Queen has re-entered the gates of Buckingham Palace for the last time. It is a very historic moment, and even though people clap, they did so as I say out of a sense of relief. It is really a very, very sombre moment. She's taken her last flight. She's entered Buckingham Palace for the last time. She will leave Buckingham Palace at 2.22 tomorrow afternoon. And there will begin four days and nights of the Queen lying in state.